Welcome to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hello and welcome to another exciting, fun-filled, fun-packed, fish-fingered-loaded episode of Food Bites with Sarah Patterson. Have we got a show for you, Kevin? Have we? Oh, good. Massive show today. <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be no point us We've being We've packed here. a lot in. We have. We have a food poll that is fish fingers. Mm. Are you for them or against them? <laughs> Are you giving us the finger or not the finger? <laughs> I think is the expression we're searching for. Got a, another little feature we, we're introducing in this program, which we'll talk to you more yes. about. But we're actually sort of adding an extra seat at the Food Bites table, and we'll explain that uh, a little later on. It's uh, a, an issue that we think is really important and uh, that does touch a lot of our lives, and we'll we'll get to that uh, fairly shortly. But our guest this week, ho ho! He is an actor who uh, look we all Singer. we all know, and he has a monumental. <laughs> Backstory and a catalogue of work. Tony Bonner wow. AM. Wow. It should be Tony Bonner. Wow, I it's reckon. It's a case <laughs> of what hasn't Tony Bonner done. Well, you know, the man from Snowy River, uh, the Light Horseman, the Persuaders, which I loved. Anzacs was another fantastic yes. one. Quigley Down Under, a great film with Tom Selleck, which you'll talk about. Skyways. The young indie... Uh, Jones Chronicle that yeah. he did with George Lucas and, of course, Skippy. Skippy, a gazillion things. We talked to uh, Tony about all of these things. He was also, you might not realise, considered for the role of James Bond. Bonner. Tony Bonner. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you know what? I could picture it because it has <laughs> to be too. said, it has to be said, Tony is a very fine-looking man. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, he's a good-looking rooster. Don't you worry about that. Mm-hmm. He's an 80-year-old rooster, we might <laughs> point out. Uh, and uh, he'll tell you the story about uh, what a great – who's, who's yeah. the most surprised person in the universe about that fact? Tony Bonner. It was a really <laughs> fascinating chat. Yeah, it's good stuff. So that is coming up right now. Enjoy Tony Bonner. Then we'll get to the food poll. And as we said, uh, introducing another little extra seat at the table of Food Bites. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. Hello. Hello, Tony. It's Kevin Hillier and Sarah Patterson. Good morning. Hey, 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 Sarah. Hey, Kevin. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this, Tony. It's uh, it's such a pleasure to talk to you. Well, more than my pleasure and honour, Sarah. So uh, press the buttons and ask the questions, Sarah. <laughs> well, Tony, to start out, I believe you uh, recently celebrated a, a milestone birthday. I mean, you turned 80. Uh, how is life treating you these days? Well, uh, unbelievably, I've reached 80, Sarah. <laughs> I, uh, I The money on me making 25 or 30 uh, uh, was big. Uh, uh, for me to get to 80 is a total amazement of mine. I didn't plan for this. I didn't think I would get here. Um, so I'm uh, very pleased and honoured to be here. Why, Tony, did you not think you would, uh, you'd make it to 80? Oh, just the manner in which I lived earlier in my life uh, with a drinking problem, motorcycles, uh, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, touring the world as an actor, uh, in my younger period, uh, always finding the uh, wrong side of the street to have a drink in, therefore uh, uh, always danced with the devil a little. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, I, I've survived some motorcycle wrecks, some pretty good horse falls uh, filming. Um, uh, so it surprises me to be here. I didn't have a plan. My plan was a daily plan. And if I got through today and made tomorrow, yippee. <laughs> hey, are you a adept hand in the kitchen? Are you any good uh, when it comes to cooking? Uh, I'm not bad. I'm a kind of survivalist. I've cooked for myself uh, most of my life. Uh, when I was married uh, with my three great daughters uh, and my uh, wife, uh, I loved cooking for, um, uh, for the kids. I used to like making cakes 
uh, you know, an orange cake, nothing fancy, uh, just good old-fashioned uh, orange or cake or a, 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 a marble cake, uh, and they'd come home from school and uh, have a, a piece of cake. I mean, I got great joy out of, uh, of that. I, 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 I think I could have been a good cook because I like cooking – uh, for people to appreciate it. I like seeing people happy at a table and enjoying what they do, uh, what they're doing, eating. So uh, I think to be a chef or a cook, a great chef or a great cook, uh, would be an absolute joy. <laughs> Tony, uh, over the years, how have your uh, eating habits changed, if at all? Uh, not too much. I'm not a great eater. Uh, I'm the simplest person to look after. I, I'll eat food that's raw or I'll eat it if it's burnt. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm very simple to look after. I really only have two or three possibly uh, items that uh, I I won't say can't eat or won't eat. Uh, obviously, if I was hungry and starving, I would eat. But uh, I'm not a lover of brains. Oh. I'm not a lover oh. of tripe. And I'm not a lover of tongue. <laughs> oh, that, and, and our generation uh, that you and I grew up in, uh, we, we, our parents put that on the table and, and, and we had to sit there and eat it till it was yeah. finished. And it was you God bet. awful. And I, oh. and, and I would refuse to sometimes. <laughs> and uh, sometimes my head would be planted in the plate of tripe. <laughs> God, yes, I'm with you on that one. Go, going up. Yeah, so, I was going to say, going back to your childhood, uh, Tony, um, your interest in in acting came via your dad, I I believe, who was also an actor. Yes, my father was a leading uh, bass baritone um, uh, with J.C. Williamson's, the great J.C. Williamson's theatres. He did a lot of the original uh, musicals of the 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, uh, He toured with some of the greats uh, of Australian musical theatre and some of the imports that came in to do shows. Um, uh, Yeah, he had a a really fine baritone voice. He was a big, good-looking fellow, played kind of baritone leading roles uh, in the musicals. Uh, And my mother was a pretty uh, uh, fine pianist and soprano. So, yeah, uh, that was always around the house, uh, interesting music, you know. So it was not an unknown path that I trod. Tony, uh, you obviously were in, in a host of very well-known and loved uh, Australian TV series, but yep. would it be fair to say that the one that you are remembered for most is uh, is Jerry King, the, the helicopter pilot in Skippy? Oh, well, it is by a certain generation, yeah, and in a certain uh, country, yeah. I mean, obviously in Australia, the people of kind of my generation and back a couple, although the damn show's on air again now after 60 60- years, so uh, uh, it's hopefully gaining some sort of a new uh, market. But um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously it was uh, was and still is Australia's most successful television series ever made. So um, it would be pointless for me to say that I wasn't known for it, but it was one of the hundred shows that I did along the rocky road of life. Do you get asked about it still to this day, Tony, and, and are you sick of it? Well, you could nearly answer the question that you just asked. (laughs) They just asked the question uh, and I answered it. I was very proud and honoured to have done that show. I I made the show by doing a film called They're a Weird Mob back in 1964 and the producers of that show went on then to do the television series of Skippy. Uh, I was doing a play at the time 
uh, they phoned me and said, we're doing this show. There's a character in there, a, a helicopter ranger. Uh, are you interested? And I said, uh, what's it being shot on? And they said, we're shooting it on 16 millimeter color film. And I said, you bet. Uh, because at that stage, 95% of work was being shot on tape uh, and not nice digital tape like today, uh, old uh, black and white uh, uh, videotape. So for an, uh, an actor, a young actor, I mean, we're talking 60 years ago now, yeah. to work on a daily basis on a, uh, on a project, project that was being filmed and on colour film because they had obviously selling overseas in mind and it was pointless shooting it on black and white if you had overseas sales in mind. It had to be shot on film and it had to be in colour. So it was a great – it was wonderful for me to work on a daily basis um, and then watch the rushes, the dailies, the following day. Uh, so I learned uh, on the job. Uh, uh, the cameraman, the DOPs, the director of photography, the operators, I would talk to about lenses, about filters, uh, the gaffers, I would talk about the lighting. So uh, that process of the show, I, I learned a lot as an actor on film. And uh, it'd be fair to say that it opened the doors to, to well, it forced you to go to England in a, in a way, and then and then opportunities came out of that? Oh, in a, in a sense, though, I left the show at the end of the first year. I only did a year on Skippy. They didn't quite go into the re letting people know that I wasn't in the show. I left the show at the end of the first year and chose to go to England because the roles I was being offered straight away here in Australia were similar roles to what I'd just been playing for a year, uh, and I didn't want to be caught in those in the same kind of character. So that was my reasoning in 1968 to go to London, and uh, that's why that was my reason, to spread the horizons, to be not as well known for a character, although Skippy was starting to be known in, in England, obviously, but I, I got there before it became a, an extremely popular show, so I did a lot of films and television uh, in London um, that I may not have had the opportunity to play the characters that I played in uh, uh, the, the Persuaders with Roger Moore and Tony Curtis down at Pinewood and the films I did in Turkey and, and Africa. And so, um, you know, in a sense, it was a blessing that uh, the producers of the show and I, uh, of, uh, of Skippy, didn't see eye to eye at the end of the first year. Uh, I shook hands with them and said, uh, I wish you success and I left. Given the, your back catalogue, uh, you look up Tony Bonner and there is an, a, an amazing um, backstory there in terms of all the work you have done, both across television and film. And I know it's probably very hard to pick out one or two particular highlights that stand out to you along the way, but is, are, are there certain memories that, that, that just really stick in your mind from the wonderful career you've had? Oh, I, th I think so, Sarah, yeah. Uh, I loved doing a, a play for television for the ABC in Melbourne many years ago, uh, and the title of that was End of Summer. It was a desperately hard hour-and-a-half television film to shoot because it was depressing from the word go. It started with a, a fire in a farmstead. A neighbour of mine, the, the property that I was running, uh, and who had committed suicide because of the toughness of the drought we were suffering in that film, and then my character not being able to emotionally survive the toughness of it. It was just a brilliant piece of writing, direction. Uh, Oscar Whitbread, the wonderful director for the ABC Melbourne in that period. Uh, it was fabulous, and uh, I loved playing that character. 
the people that saw it from the country uh, regions just loved it. They said, thank God there's been a film done that hasn't glorified uh, being a farmer and living on a, on a big property. The, uh, this is showing the realities of, of drought and the realities of, of the mental situation of, that farmers uh, and their families go through. So th- that was a play I always uh, have a great affection for, uh, End of Summer. And the Anzacs. I love doing that 10-hour miniseries. The character I played in that was a flawed character, uh, or I created him and, and made him slightly flawed uh, because he led men into battle when he was having emotional battles of his own that I created for uh, Captain Armstrong. So that, that 10-hour miniseries, because of my fellow actors as well and the directors that were attached to that, it was wonderful to do. Uh, so, you know, Man from Snowy River, what a great character to play uh, with the legend Kirk Douglas. Uh, I played Kirk's foreman in, in, in Snowy, and that was a joy to do. Yeah, I mean, I think most things I've done, I don't think I've ever done anything just to be working or for money. The characters I've chosen from right back to the 60s when I started were characters that that were of interest to me, that uh, I could put uh, another layers to them with the, with the overview of the director, of course, and the writer possibly and the producers. But I always looked to play more than a one- or two-dimensional man. I wanted to add to him certain elements and certain flaws and certain emotional journeys that were not in the script and not written, but I wanted to dig them out and have them there as possibilities for an audience to feel that there was something going on with that man on that screen or that stage that they weren't sure about. And that's what I want from an audience. I want an audience not to sit there like blobs <laughs> just watching. Uh, just, I want them to go for a journey. And uh, that's what I've tried to do with the men I played. What about the man you didn't get to play and that you were up for at one stage, James Bond? What do you think, uh, what do you, looking back at that, what do you think you would have brought to that role? Well, who knows at that stage. But I certainly would have, uh, I hope, with the producer and the director's support, obviously, built something into Bond that the other actors haven't done. Some have made him slightly darker. Some have made him slightly more lightness in the in the manner, like Roger did. The wonderful Roger Moore made him that kind of elegant fellow, where Sean made him kind of brooding a little. I would have found an element to add to uh, the, the script. When I, uh, if I had have done it, I would have read the script. I would have suggested that there was a scene in there that I'd like to do this. And it may be not any dialogue. It may be uh, something physically or something uh, that I could do, play, that suddenly I hope, maybe not the whole audience, but a p- portion of the audience suddenly would go, Wow, it wasn't that interesting, and and that's that's what I hopefully would have done with Bond. But I got scared. I was working with Roger at the time. We were doing that episode of the the Persuaders with Roger Moore and Tony Curtis when both Roger and I were asked to go to Cubby Broccoli, Harry Saltzman's office up in the West End in London, and uh, uh, talk about playing the character. Uh, and I got kind of scared, not from my ability as an actor, but my ability as a as a, a person. I was, I, you know, I kind of had low self-esteem, not that it sounds like it, but I still battled it, but I certainly had it back then. Uh, it was difficult for me to comprehend 
that I could possibly be James Bond. It was it was a, a road that I thought, how can I? I it just it scared me. The possibility of happiness, I suppose, and success was and still is to a degree a difficult for, thing for me to handle. It was not an easy journey, mine, from birth to. 14 or 15 and then it was tough after that because I had to resolve some things that uh, were happened earlier in my life but um, that's life that's the journey and I I sometimes think my fear at that time of possibly becoming Bond um, may have saved me from other things in my life if I had have had pocketfuls of money and success and I may have gone down a road and a trail that I could afford but couldn't handle. Uh, so who knows? Um, you know, life's strange. You walk on one side of the road when you should be walking on the other side of the road. Uh, you come to a corner and you turn left and you should have turned right. <laughs> I just kind of – that's why I said earlier in this chat, to, for me to reach 80 is a surprise because I didn't think I'd get here. I didn't plan for it. Uh, it's a daily process, and uh, if I had have played Bond, uh, and it, uh, as an actor, I would have loved to. Uh, and it's strange, I work with a couple of them. Obviously, I work with Roger on The Persuaders. I work with Daniel Craig. When Daniel was just what's called a jobbing actor, when Daniel was uh, a good actor, but just a, an English knockabout actor, uh, we did uh, a show in Turkey, uh, The Young Indie Chronicles. Catherine Zeta Jones was in it. Um, Catherine was on her way to Hollywood, where we, she was then to meet her uh, husband and uh, live the life of greatness in, in Hollywood. But Catherine was in that. She'd just finished doing a series in uh, London called The Darling Buds of May. Made her a star, and uh, she was leaving England on her way to America, and she was there with us uh, shooting this episode. George Lucas, the great Star Wars George, George Lucas, produced this. Uh, Daniel Craig was in that. Uh, so it's funny when I look back, uh, and uh, obviously the Aussie boy, uh, I, I knew reasonably well when he was a car salesman. George. Um, <laughs> Georgie Lazenby, yeah. I knew George when he was selling cars. Um, <laughs> so it, it's funny. I've had a, a, a closeness to four of the Bonds, um, and I may have done it if I hadn't have been so kind of – um, just feared of success. Uh, I know it's a strange thing and people may not understand it, but you run from success and you run from failure. And uh, I've run from success a couple of times in my life. When I went into America after the man from Snowy River, I had great possibilities there. The, the press were saying, is this the new young Clint Eastwood? Uh, you know, I had some nice copy there and some people were looking at my work and uh, that kind of scared me a little as well. Uh, uh, we're complex characters, uh, human beings, and anyway, I'm here still. Uh, I'm appreciative of that because I've got three beautiful grown-up daughters and six grandchildren that uh, I never thought I'd have, and uh, they are, I've got them. That's, and that's, that's what counts in life, really, at the end of the you day. Bet. But, Tony, I understand that, uh, I guess, these days, and for a, for a long time now, uh, teaching has become an important part of your life. What level of yep. satisfaction do you derive from um Teaching the next generation. Of, uh, oh well, a, a lot, sir. yeah, a lot, sir. I've been teaching now for about thirty years. Uh, Tom Selleck, strangely, <laughs> got me started. Uh, I was doing a film with Tom uh, Quigley down under, oh, and yes. 
yeah. And and Tom said, you know, why don't you have a chat to these young actors in the, uh, and uh, see if you can uh, give them some direction, Tom. And and I did. And they kind of enjoyed it. And so when I finished the film, uh, one of the actors asked me to have a chat to him about an audition he had coming up. Uh, and I did that. And it just grew from that at some acting academies, facilities. Um, heard that I was uh, doing some classes, and uh, so I've done a lot of classes for a lot of the good uh, academies in Australia uh, and in New Zealand and in Los Angeles. Uh, I have private students, uh, some are in America now, uh, that started with me 15 or 20 years ago. Young Daniel McPherson, I was uh, just talking to Danny the other day. Daniel, I was his first teacher. I prepared him for his audition for Neighbours about 16 years ago now. So there's lots of actors like that 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 are around and blossoming now, and I enjoy it. I love teaching because I've made the mistakes, uh, and so I kind of impress on my students, on my colleagues, not to go down some of the roads that I went down, not to run from things, not to not to do a lot of stuff that I did because I didn't have a mentor, and I really regret not having um, a mentor in my life back then in my teens. Um, uh, that I could just sit with. I had a lot of actors I respected back then, Aussie actors that were on their way to England. At that time, Bud Tingle was one. Michael Pate was another. A whole bunch of the actors in the 50s uh, uh, that I had an immense respect for. But, you know, as Australians, we're a strange breed, Australians. We find it, or we used to find it difficult to ask for help. We used to find it difficult to say to someone, I need an answer I need uh, we don't do it we just battle on like an old brown dog until we get too hurt or too uh, injured so I I applaud uh, things today where people are open and talk and want to talk about who they are what they are what they're feeling Uh, because as Australian men a bit like New Zealanders a bit like South Africans we sit on that emotions where other races of men are quite happy to open to their mothers, their sisters. They're, they're happy to let out this stuff that we sit on. So that's what I teach. I teach actors, the male actors, to find vulnerabilities, to be gentle, to be all the stuff I wasn't. Um, I am in my work, and that's kind of what saved me. Uh, I've said it many times. If I hadn't have been an actor, I don't know if I would have survived because playing men and or young men to begin with, and now men, I can play moments and emotions that I didn't in my own life. Uh, that was the stupidity of it. So anyway. It's a fascinating uh, backstory, and I think it's an important message you're conveying too, um, yep. Tony. You're obviously still busy as a bee. What's in the pipeline for uh, for 2024? Uh, a couple of things. Uh, there's a film. I'm playing a lawyer in a Korean film that's coming in, obviously, from Seoul. Uh, uh, two hot young Korean actors. Uh, uh, the movie industry is a very big in, in uh, South Korea. Uh, I'm playing that character, a lawyer, that's defending one of the Korean boys on a drug charge. Then a very big film that you can have a quick look on IMBD. Uh, it's uh, titled Island in the Stars. It's a kind of space sci-fi film, which I have never done. All the various films and characters I've played, I haven't done that genre. Uh, And it's a big film. That will be later in the year. Uh, I'll be teaching. Uh, I hope to direct a play, another play. I directed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest 
a couple of years ago for Queensland Theatre, uh, which I loved. Uh, 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 I love directing. Um, so, um, and teaching uh, as always, mentoring as always. Um, I work with some of the charities that I'm still involved with and have been for 40 or 50 years, the Variety Club uh, to begin with. I've been with them. I signed uh, with Roger Moore in, in uh, London uh, in 1960, early 1968 um, and Susan George. Uh, we signed, uh, signed to be members, uh, and I'm still a member uh, here, what, 60 years later. Uh, and I did a film with Susan. She'd just finished doing a picture called Straw Dogs oh, yeah. in uh, yeah. Wales, which was a wonderful film. And uh, Susan and I then did a film in Malta uh, titled Eyewitness. Uh, she's a great friend. I still talk to Susan uh, by the week. Uh, you know, we're online, uh, Facebook or chat or Instagram. We're still great pals. Uh, I knew her husband quite well, Simon McCorkendale. He was a wonderful man that unfortunately succumbed to cancer. Uh, so, uh, yeah, life, life, the journey continues. I love seeing my daughters. Uh, I love the grandkids, seeing them grow up. Yeah, day by day, uh, life's good. Take a little uh, moment out of your busy schedule and uh, and if you were having a dinner party, Tony, and you could invite anybody, I mean anybody, dead or alive, who would make it to your table? Oh, well, well, well. Um, <laughs> a character that I've always been interested in, even before I saw the film, uh, when I read The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, uh, T.E. Lawrence, um, Lawrence of Arabia, what a complex and interesting man, uh, and he's a motorcyclist. He owned, I think, seven or eight bruff uh, motorcycles that are beautiful. Motor- if you can get a bruff motorcycle today, it'll cost you $250,000, $300,000 for a 40-year-old motorcycle. Uh, so uh, look online to bruff, B-R-O-U-G-H, uh, motorcycles. Uh, he died on uh, a bruff, the opening of uh, Lawrence of Arabia which is on his life, obviously, the, those opening sequences when he got on the uh, 100 Bruff and he died in, the back, in a beautiful lane in the countryside of England. Um, and then the film starts after that. It's still one of my top five favourite films. So, T. Uh, Lawrence would be one. Um, a man that I loved and loved and loved and felt sad, sad, sad for and loved um, because of his talents and everything he had to offer except... The uh, obviously the black dog that was travelling within him uh, with mental situation, and that was Robin Williams. The sadness of losing that person still resonates with me, and I know a lot of people. Um, so Robin Williams, I would enjoy just chatting to, just diving into that extraordinary mind of his. Oh, Leonard Bernstein, I saw West Side Stories coming back on the harbour in Sydney, uh, and Leonard Bernstein to sit with that genius. That uh, did West wrote the music for West Side Story, uh, On the Town, Candide, uh, operas and uh, ballet music. Uh, he is just beyond brilliant, Leonard, to me, Leonard Bernstein. And so uh, he would be at the table, I would hope. There is an English woman that I've always found fascinating. Um, and if you want to read something fascinating, read on her life. She was an Irish person that came to Australia. Uh, around the uh, 1800s called Daisy Bates, extraordinary woman. I, my beautiful favourite cattle dog, uh, I called uh, Bates, Daisy Bates, oh. after in honour of this woman. Uh, 
she lived with the Aboriginals uh, in her English crinoline, high-necked uh, clothing. She spoke their dialect. Uh, she was the most extraordinary human being. And I, she was an Australian, became an Australian, uh, Irish-Australian woman who went back to England uh, in the uh, early 1930s or 40s for memory and then came back to Australia. Just an interesting woman, Daisy Bates. And I suppose if I threw another one person in at this table, again, out of interest from Stanislavski studying with him, would be Stella Adler. I'd like to sit with Stella. Uh, I like the manner in which she taught and which she spoke and mentored people. One of her catchphrases, her thought processes to her actors was, don't be boring. <laughs> uh, and I love that. When you're doing nothing on stage or in a film, you're always doing something. Don't be boring, <laughs> you know. Uh, be something. Be thinking. Be, be, be. Uh, don't act. Be. Yeah. You know, I don't want to see anyone act. So Stella Adler I would oh. find interesting. So, And I'll throw another one in uh, because I find him interesting as well for his understanding of the industry, the mainly film, but certainly film and television. I would actually go to see him do a play. Uh, I don't think he's done any theatre, uh, but it, and that's Tom Cruise. I think Tom is an extraordinarily complex and interesting person. He's born on the 4th of July character that he played. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, everything he's done has, has had some elements of interest in there, and that's what he can do as a human being or an actor is be interesting, and I think Tommy Cruise is interesting. Tony, what a wow. wonderful and eclectic collection of dinner guests. Yeah, That's probably absolutely. one of the most unique that we've uh, we've ever had on this program. Oh, oh well, uh, I don't know whether to thank you or not. <laughs> <laughs> but Tony, this is going to be the hardest hitting question for you. And just to wrap yep. up, we usually like to ask our guests if yes. they have a kitchen tip or a cooking tip to share. Do you have one of those? Love what you do. Huh. If you don't love it and you don't want to see people enjoy it, don't cook it. <laughs> a beautiful it. way to finish Tony thank you so much for your time mate continued uh, health and happiness to you and thanks so much for being on our program thank you uh, th- uh, thank you both and uh, I wish you well you're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier Tony Bonner okay. AM what yeah. a fascinating insight into the man and especially and still um, being very candid and, and telling us that he didn't uh, realise that he or expect to see uh, 80 years of age. No, he's done well to get there, as, as he <laughs> readily admitted, uh, given the life he led. I think he would have made a great James Bond. Me I would too. have loved to have seen him as James Bond in that period between Sean Connery and Roger Moore. Yes, and he would have brought his own oh, signature. Yeah. No, to I the thought, role. He, thought he was terrific. A great screen presence and loved having him on the program. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. All right, uh, now let's get to our food poll because it, oh, is, yes. it is a beauty, I have it's to say. It's a kid's favourite, isn't it, with families? Well, but gee, you'll it, find out. it drew a, a, it was a very polarising <laughs> response. Well, wait and see. Wait till we get mm-hmm. to the votes. David Burt is going to start us off. He says, no, apparently, David. they go okay in the air fryer. Ooh, got to try that. I have them jammed into a hot dog roll with tartare sauce. Very posh. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> is the fishy, oh, that's so posh. <laughs> is the fishy part of the Macca's fillet of fish simply an oversized fish burger? I had a friend who used to call the Macca's fillet of fish filet de la fish. <laughs> there you go. One of great, uh, life's great mysteries right. there. Sue Landry says nay from me. Terry, yay. I sneak one when the grandkids have them occasionally. 
Terry has a wonderful diet, except yeah, when his grandkids, grandkids are around. Come around because they keep they keep introducing all these foods, <laughs> macaroni cheese, yes, yeah. <laughs> lollies, milkshakes. You know it. Lisa Marie says no way, Jose. Fair enough. Silvana says it's a yes from me. Lena says yay. Artie says yay every now and then. As one of seven from a working class northern UK family, we thrived on them as kids with mash and peas. We all did. I think Rebecca Ann Kane, who is our resident vegan, vegan. says nothing fish, no fish anything, even before mm. I went vegan. For Rob Elliott, it is a big yes from him. Uh, Brad Hubber Houghton says fish finger with lemon and a uh, what is it? And pepper singers. Oh, hang on. Fish finger with lemon, lemon and, and pepper, pepper. singers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yum. Mm, sounds yeah, good. Sound good. Yeah. Charlene says it's a nay from me. That says simple love. Now, Stephen Tuzel, he mm. was very firm in his opinion oh, on this. Yeah. I'm very interested to this. He says, never, ever, no way. I've not subjected them to my children and uh, like I was, this is the worst food ever and it elicited a few responses. Oh, did it ever. Andrea said, uh, Stephen, I agree. And Andrew said, Stephen, tell us how you really feel about them. (laughs) Exactly. To which Stephen said, not in this arena, I can't. There you go. Uh, But Kathleen says, it's a no from me, but for my 26-year-old son, however, it's a big yay. There you go. Karen says, uh, I can only think of a couple of times I had them as a kid. I just can't eat them. Glenn Rodder says, anytime, Pato, it's a big mm. yay from me. Rachel says, nay, chicken nuggets instead. Sue says, <laughs> no, a vomit emoji, enough said. <laughs> Maybe I should have put the fish fingers up against the chicken nuggets on retrospect. Oh, I would have got killed, I reckon. Sharon says, it's a big no from me. Uh, Tina says, occasionally, and my kids love them. Yeah, they do. Joe says, yay. Fran gives <laughs> two Vomit emojis. <laughs> and Rob Elliott says to Fran, you haven't lived until you've had fish fingers and spaghetti. What? At what time I nearly <laughs> lost, uh, when I first read that, I almost lost everything I'd eaten yeah. that day. Oh, fish mm, fingers and spaghetti. No. Give me a... <laughs> Stephen Quartermain uh, sums it up for a lot of us, I think. He says, maybe as a kid but not yeah. now. The spaghetti, it's all like, it's like a new take on oh, a marinara. That's just... Uh, old Croaky says, punching the air with this year. Best part of the fish. And uh, Pete Hitchener and Anne Peacock agreed with that. They liked that. Yep. And Jim Wilson says, yep, yay, with a bit of lemon and tartare. And the voting is very close. The yes, 49. The no's, 51. Doesn't get closer than that, Kevin. Just about doesn't. So, But the people who didn't like them really didn't like them. Yeah, it's one of those ones. I can't remember the last time. I think uh, one night you might have cooked them for Hayden yeah. ages ago and I might have had half a one and thought, hey, that's okay, and that was enough. I'm like people who like sticking them in a roll with a bit of mayo, a bit of lemon action, oh, make posh. your own filet de la fish. David Burt said, very posh. Huh. Oh, incredibly posh. Now, look, we're going to introduce, uh, we want to say thank you for uh, contributing mm. to the, uh, the food poll up every Friday on all the social media platforms. Please, become a part of that. Now, we're adding an extra seat at the Food Bites table and uh, there's just about no one in the world who Mm -hmm. hasn't had their life at some stage touched by breast cancer, whether it's someone who's a friend of yours, a relation of yours, uh, you will have seen it and had it as part of your life at some stage. So what we thought we'd do is have a chat about uh, breast cancer and a couple of things that are happening in the breast cancer world. And for the person going through it, it's as much sometimes a mental 
oh. battle and as, as it is a physical challenge. And part of uh, that uh, physical challenge, I guess, is uh, is being addressed at St Vincent's at the moment. They've just set up a, a hair and wig salon. Uh, and we're going to talk to a lady about that and about uh, a whole lot of other things to do uh, with where we're at in, uh, in our fight against breast cancer. Now, uh, the lady we're going to be talking to is Carolyn Baker, who's the Director of Breast Surgery at St Vincent's and the Designated Surgeon at St Vincent's Breast Screen. She knows all about it. What's the what's the a usual, if there is such a thing, day in the life of the Director of uh, Breast Surgery at St Vincent's? <laughs> so St Vincent's Public Hospital is a, is a busy tertiary hospital, which means we get a lot of referrals from, um, obviously, metropolitan Melbourne, but also regional areas and even interstate. So my role is predominantly to look after women who may have or do have breast cancer. Um, I've got a team, uh, I'm one of four female breast surgeons, so I think we are the first uh, all-female surgical unit in Victoria. And um, we work closely with uh, two breast care nurses who are the support people for our patients and um, are heavily integrated with a medical oncology team and a radiation oncology team. So together we look after women from diagnosis through all their treatment and hopefully a graduation for cure. Can only imagine. Uh, it must be a harrowing uh, journey for for the patients. I mean, it's it's a mental as well as a physical uh, journey for them. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and we're very aware of that. Um, my mantra for the junior staff and for all colleagues is to make sure that we walk in the patient's shoes. So, anything that we do, you need to be looking at it from outside yourself and how the patient may perceive it. So we support and not just treat their cancer, but make sure that we look after all of them. So the supports that we have for the mental side of things are our breast care nurses, who are both subspecialist, um, experienced uh, support workers with a great knowledge of breast cancer. But we also have um, a psych oncology service at St Vincent's, which is um, not commonly available in public hospitals. So they're a subspecialist team who give mental support for patients with um, being treated for cancer. You're listening to Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier. That's Carolyn Baker, the Director of Breast Surgery at St Vincent's. Obviously, we have plenty more to talk to her about, including the uh, the hair and wig salon that uh, that has been set up. Which is an integral part of taking that holistic approach for women who are going through breast cancer treatment and uh, especially talking about, uh, as Carolyn did, when they lose their hair. Yep. Sometimes it can be a really confronting time of a woman's life. Absolutely. Uh, so we'll talk more about that in the next episode of Food Bites with Sarah Patterson. And if you might like to make a donation or are able to make a donation, please jump on the St Vincent's Hospital website. You'll find their landing page for donations and uh, anything you can uh, do, anything you can give will certainly help out. More on that with uh, Carolyn Baker coming up in the next episode. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to Food Bites. Check out our Facebook page for recipes, tips and all the latest news. That's Food Bites with Sarah Patterson and Kevin Hillier.